You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning, Real Life family. I love that video and just their conversation around hope and how it kind of frames this conversation uh, of hope as we're headed into this Advent season. I, uh, I'm excited to get to introduce and begin this this Advent season with hope. However, I have no idea how I was chosen uh, to do so because I am by far probably the least qualified. Whether it's uh, my concern for snow, and I don't know if you've ever looked at snow and considered it, but there are four letters in snow, uh, much like other things that we don't like. I am not a fan of putting up lights, much less taking them down, and I am... Also not very good at ornaments, whether it's their placement, what they look like, choosing them, decorating with them, generally ornaments that I don't get along. And if nothing else, uh, the thing that makes me most unqualified to uh, be talking about Advent and the Christmas season is I think my favorite Christmas movie is probably Star Wars. (laughs) And yet God, in all of his sense of humor, decided that I should be up here to start this sermon, or start this series. So here I am. And... uh, I, I figure if I'm going to be non-traditional in, in my relationship with Christmas, I thought I'd go ahead and start uh, our conversation of Advent in a non-traditional place as well. And so I went to Genesis, because I figure if we're going to talk about the Bible, we might as well start at the beginning. And uh, in Genesis, the, the thing that stuck out to me most was uh, looking and seeing Abram, and Abram's story, where the story of the first person that God really decides is a partner that I want to create an entire nation out of is Abram. And at the beginning of his story, he immediately takes a wife, and his wife is barren. Now, that's really easy to gloss over because it's at the end of a genealogy. But it's also very concerning because at the time of Abram, having children is how you knew you were good with the gods. You see... If you have a child, that means you yourself are something worth replicating, which is why you have a genealogy. And this guy is the son of this guy is the son of this guy is the son of this guy because all these people were worth replicating. And so over and over and over again, God would replicate you and you would be the son of someone. And being a son meant you were a child once. And so having children shows God looked at you and said, you are worth replicating. And so Abram took a barren wife. And immediately after taking a barren wife, he then, God shows up and says, out of you, I'm going to create a great nation. And Abram's like, well, I don't know if you've noticed, but I took a barren wife. But the rest of Abram's story is then over and over and over again, working through how is he going to provide for his family? When is his son going to show up? When will he have this child? Can he do it himself? Can he do it God's way? And Abram providing for his family is no small feat. You see, Abram's family was massive. His household was massive. One of the stories we have of Abram is when he's in uh, traveling with his nephew Lot, and they have so many herds and sheep and cattle and people that there is too much for them to be together. So they have to break up and go two separate ways because the land cannot sustain them. And that's what defined Abram over and over again. How will he provide for his family? And when will this son show up? 
and the entire Old Testament over and over and over again. You have the children of Israel because that means that they were the children of God. God looked at them and said, you are worth replicating over and over again. That is how they knew they were good with God. They kept having children. And then when we get to the New Testament, we meet another couple, a much older couple, who isn't able to have children. We meet Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they're not able to have children, which means their community looks at them and says, there's something wrong here. I, we see you and we see what you do and everything looks good on the outside. But we're pretty sure that there's something wrong because you don't have any children, which means you're not worth replicating. You're not worth parenting. And there's no government structure that they could lean on within Rome. There's no healthcare system within the deities that they could go to that would change that because they were going to be righteous people. And that's where we pick up in Luke to see their story. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So they were both descendants of Aaron, which means they were both priestly, which means that actually should be in the temple serving, and they're following what they should be. They weren't off trying to lean on Rome. They weren't off trying to engage in this uh, negative, depraved, depraved culture. They were focused on God first and following what God wanted first. They were trying to be righteous. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandment and decrees blamelessly but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God because he's righteous. He's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to follow the rules. He was chosen by lot, which is literally like rolling dice or drawing a short straw. Like it's nothing, it's not nearly as awesome as like I had in the back of my mind of like, oh, they all were like divining and then God spoke and it was him. No, it's like really simple. I was surprised when I found that out. And according to the custom of the priesthood, uh, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense, which is kind of like all of us waiting outside while Greg and the band were up here playing and uh, we're all waiting out there. We know that it takes about five minutes. So Greg and the band are going to play and then we'll all be together. But Meanwhile, Zechariah has to burn incense. The band has to play real quick, and then we get to have service. So uh, that's kind of what's going on. And when the time for burning of incense came, all assembled and the worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children 
and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. So anyone who had turned away, who had decided to lean on Rome, anyone who decided that uh, the safety in numbers or being more focused on other gods of the Romans and the Greeks would be brought back through their son. So this is, this is huge, right? This is essentially saying that his son is going to go out and everybody that's super distracted on their phones is no longer going to be distracted on their phones and are just going to start coming to church instead. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah's only question, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Because at the end of the day, Zechariah knows he is old. He looks around at all of his friends that are his age. They're all old. They're all not having children. So how could he and his wife have children? They're a little old for this. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. Remember, we're all sitting out there waiting. We know that Greg and the band should take five minutes and this is taking way longer. And Zechariah is the guy who doesn't have kids who randomly was chosen to go into the temple and he's taking a little too long. And we all know that he's kind of damaged goods, that there's something wrong there, that there's no way anything could be really happening for him because <clears throat> he doesn't have children. And likewise, that means something bad is happening. And they realized he had seen a vision. Wait, when he came out, he could not speak to them. Obviously, his sin caught up with him while he was in there, and so now we all know that there really is something wrong. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion, which means they were separated from their friends because he can't speak after he came out of the temple, which means something really bad did happen. And even though, even though she is secluded, she is pushed off in the corner now, it is her and him by themselves, no longer with their friends and family and relationships. They're now removed from community. Listen to her words. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. She chooses to remember what God had done for her throughout their history. Not only her life, but the life of everyone else in the Old Testament, how God over and over and over again showed up, rescued his people, joined them in their circumstances. And she chooses to remember that first, even though she's separated off in some corner by herself with her and her husband secluded away. She chooses to remember. She chooses hope. And so likewise, with Zechariah and Elizabeth, you end up fast-forwarding about 2,000 years to 2015, and there's a young man and a young woman who, who are married, and they're happy, and they're excited, and they, they've looked at life and decided that it's time for them. It's, it's time for them to start a family. 
And they see their friends, and some of their friends have kids, and it's like, you know what? I think we're going to do this. I, I think we're going to start a family. And so my wife and I, we were, we were pregnant, and we were so excited. We'd started planning out the name, started planning out uh, what their life would be like, and uh, kind of like uh, anyone before they're married knows the answer to all of marriage's problems. Uh, we, as not having children, knew all the answers to how to raise our ch- the child we didn't have yet. And so we were, we were excited. We were over the moon, ready for this child. And we went in for our first ultrasound, and the tech was the sweetest lady. She, she was chatty, and she would make the right jokes, and she was very helpful to us as we were figuring this out. And uh, she pulled out the gel, and she made the joke about how the gel is going to be cold, and you, you know, you're going to be okay. And um, through the process, she starts, starts to do the ultrasound, and slowly as as we're going on and watching the screen and everything move around, she gets, just gets quieter and quieter and becomes uh, more and more cold, less warm, and, and uh, she becomes much less conversational. And uh, she just didn't, didn't really have any results or, or any explanation for anything, uh, which is probably for the best, because being a tech, the conversation she didn't want to have to have uh, was the phone call we got two days later about how we had a... Uh, a non-viable pregnancy. My, my wife and I had miscarried. And you want to talk about going from excited, over the moon, hopeful and overjoyed, to empty, broken, angry, and hopeless. We were there. And all of a sudden, all of the joy and excitement we had was broken glass. And so we spent the next months trying to work through and figure this out between the two of us, which resulted in us just sitting in the back for one worship night and just crying the whole time because we didn't even have words. We showed up because we knew it was right, but we didn't know what to do while we were there. It ended up with us sitting right over here as we listened to Marty teach a sermon in the Advent season. And I'm pretty sure it was Christmas Eve. She's pretty sure it was the Hope sermon, but I think that's too perfect coincidence, so it's not possible. And just ball our way through the service because we were empty. And the only thing that brought us through that were the people in our lives at the time. And it wasn't because they just had a miraculous knowledge of what was going on in our lives. It was because we decided to share our story. We decided to share with them what was going on, which didn't actually give them any miraculous tool. They didn't then suddenly just know exactly what to do. Some of them did very right things, like just show up or uh, bring us a meal. And others of them did very wrong things and we were like, I don't know why you're doing this, but I know that you love us and I know that you're trying and that's all that we can do. But over and over again, we still chose to just keep sharing and it hurt. And every time we shared, it hurt a little more. But it changed the conversation. It changed the conversation for us the conversation of how do we get through this. 
I, uh, I think of the best analogy being, uh, so Gandalf in Lord of the Rings is talking about the, their adventure. I'm sorry, it's like the only thing in my head. And he says that their, the journey and the quest hangs on the edge of a knife. And if when you're trying to do it alone, when you're trying to do it by yourself, your journey's on an edge of a knife and you stray but a little and you're toast. But when you're somebody's Sam and you look at them and you say, share the load, all of a sudden it's okay. All of a sudden, instead of it being a stacked knife that cannot go even just a little bit off or it all falls apart, suddenly you're in a community and you have all these people and you have a wide load and you have the whole community working together to share your pain, to help you work through it. And somebody's been there before and they're able to come in and say, I've been there. I know what you're going through. We can do this. But when you share over and over again, your pain stops defining you. When we shared, when I shared, my pain stopped defining me. And over and over again, I at least got to sit with someone who loved me enough to listen. And sometimes when they had the right words, it was great. And when they had the wrong words, it was fine because they at least loved me enough to try. And so if you're sitting here today and you're saying, I'm hopeless, that sounds like me, please share. Please share with someone. And after you finish sharing with them, go to someone else and share with them too. Because the first person might do it wrong. Or the first person will do it right and the second person will do it wrong. But keep sharing. And give people opportunity to show up because God put these people in your life. Zechariah and Elizabeth had people in their lives and they chose hope. Abram and Sarah chose hope. They chose to choose something greater than themselves. They chose to engage the community they were in and to share their story. Kelsey and I had to choose hope. We had to choose to share. And we're better because of it today, because God showed up in the people in our lives. Because I'll tell you, I was reading the Bible at the time, and I would look at the Bible, and I would read a verse like, Jesus wept. And I'd be like, Jesus doesn't know the first thing about weeping. Are you kidding me? I know weeping. Because my pain defined me. I would start praying and my prayer would just be all about my pain. And I wasn't getting anything out of my prayer and I wasn't getting anything out of my text. And all I could do was cry during worship. It was literally the people in my life that kept showing up over and over and over again to listen to me share that made the difference. And I know that there are a lot of types of pain whether your pain is just like mine or your pain is different, we can share pain together and we can work through this. And so that's the flip side of this coin. Is you're here today and you look at us and you're like, I'm actually good, JT. I'm actually doing all right. Like God's really taking care of me and I'm in a good season right now. I'm excited for Advent. I'm excited for the Savior that's going to be born. I'm excited. I'm in a good place the first thing I would say is praise God. You're in a good place. How wonderful is that? Which means God has equipped you and given you the tools you need 
to not only be where you're at, but also to go with others. And so I would ask you to engage people and create space for others to share. And if you get to the Advent season and you're like, I kept creating space and nobody ever showed up, maybe last weekend's sermon about fostering is something to get into. But as you engage, as you create this space, listen. Over and over again, listen to these people sharing. That as they share their story, be quiet and listen. Listen to them. Listen to the Holy Spirit. And let them create space. And if at the end of their story you don't know what to say, you can literally take their last three words and just add a question mark and they will keep going, which is good. It is so good to do that. Or if you can, say me too. If there is something in their story that you can relate to, say me too. Share. Walk with them. Stay in their life. Stay connected to them so that as they're living their lives, they know that they have someone like you to bring hope and to share hope and to remind them of what God has done in your life, in their life, what God has done throughout the entire Old Testament, what God has done throughout the entire New Testament and how we have hope built on Christ who did the surprising thing of live the life worth living and conquer death. And together we can find hope because hope comes with a savior who loves us enough to keep choosing us over and over again. Hope comes from a God who looked at us at the big first at the sixth day of creation and said, "You are very good." That is what hope is. And your present circumstances do not define you. They are a part of your story, but they are not the defining part of your story. God defines you as very good. Now we're going to go ahead and take some time and head towards communion. And with that, we're going, we have an open table. And if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then we invite you to uh, partake with us. And we're going to look at a few questions for home group as we do that. Uh, And the uh, first question is, what is your story of hopelessness? So for home groups and for uh, me and three or dinner table or whenever you decide to uh, share this conversation and go through this question, what is your story of hopelessness? If you're a home group leader, ask the question and let it ride. Because the reality is, is that's going to be some awkward silence until someone speaks up and shares their story. If you need an opportunity to share your story because you feel hopeless today, share your story of where you're at now. Or maybe it's where you're at five years ago or 10 years ago. Share that story so that people know who you are and can hear your story and that will inspire someone else to share. That will create space so that we can share together so that it isn't all stacked up on top of you. Instead, we have this wide load spread between our entire community to work together. 
And if you're in a home group and you're just participating, you're showing up, you're, you're a member of a home group, after your home group leader asks this question, go ahead and take a second and throw your story out there. Be first, rescue from the awkward silence with your story. Because this is your opportunity to share. Someone else can be healed through your story. Someone else can be inspired and connected to you through your story. You sharing your story is God showing up in your life and their life. Because in the context of community, God shows up and brings us together to talk over his word, to talk over the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, to talk over our lives so that we can live life connected. Which is our next question. How can you choose to remember what God has done? That is his story in your life. That is his story throughout the Bible of a righteous man deciding to marry a barren woman, of a barren man and woman living righteous lives, doing the right things, following the rules over and over and over again. And choosing hope even when they're alone. It is Kelsey and I choosing to share our story with our friends and creating space that they can share with us. And having to choose hope first. And if you're on the other side of the coin, who can you remember? Who can you help remember what God has done? If you're on the other side of that coin, who can you help remember? See in their lives where God has shown up before. See in the Bible where God has shown up before. So that as you create space for someone to talk about their story and share where they're at, who can you ask, how are you doing? And then they say, fine. And then you can say, no, no, no. How are you really doing? You can let them share. And you can listen. And you can help them remember that God says they are very good. You can help them remember that they don't have to do it alone and you are right there next to them to help. Who can you help remember what God has done? And the last question, who can you bring hope to? Very similar to the the previous question, but specifically, I know that there are are people in your mind that you might have someone on your heart right now of, I know I could really text this person and ask them how they're doing because I know they're in a tough spot. I know they have something going on. I know that they have, that they need a little bit of hope and that they need community. You can send them that text and be like, hey, how you doing? In a few minutes, I'm going to pray and that everybody's head will be down and that's a great time to shoot a little text. Hey, thinking about you. Because sometimes that's all it takes is just to know someone else is that close. Which is part of the story. We are bringers of hope. We carry hope with us. God has chosen us over and over again. That's what the bread and the juice are about. Christ chose us and he chose us for us to be a part of his story. 
He chose for us to carry his mantle and to carry the bread that we would bring hope. He chose us and said that we could be a part of that story, that we could be a part of bringing hope to Moscow, to our homes, to our neighborhoods, to our workplace, by meeting real people with our stories. We bring hope in this season of anticipation. Praise the Lord. The bread and the juice in this season are a reminder of the anticipation coming here in a few short weeks. And these are exciting times. These are exciting ways that we get to bring hope by creating a little space, listening, and saying me too. We have a long-expected Jesus coming. And today we choose hope by choosing his body. So together, let's choose his body and choose his hope. And his blood, the blood of this covenant, is a reminder of the life he lived, the hope he brought through his healing people, the hope he brought through teaching us what it means to be a good neighbor. This is a reminder of the hope we have through Christ, no matter what our circumstances, because our circumstances are real, and they hurt, but they do not define us. There are a milepost on our journey, and that milepost is a much part of our lives as every other milepost. But no pit stop or milepost defines me. No death, no miscarriage defines my life. My journey is defined by God first, and so is yours. And this is choosing to define ourselves by the hope that comes in God and the hope that comes by defining our journey by God first in the season of anticipation that we might build our lives on the cornerstone of Christ who loves us and knows the best for us, who brings us the wisdom to move forward and listen. We choose Christ. Choose Christ and his hope with me this morning. Lord God, I thank you and I praise you for my family this morning that we would continue to choose your hope, that we would continue to choose your love, that we would bring hope as we go this week, that we would share our stories of what is going on in our lives and where we're at as we journey through this season, that this Advent season would be an opportunity for us to share together and to carry the load together and to spread the weight together, that it would be a season of togetherness and community and connection, Lord God. I thank you for this family that I get to be a part of. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.